You're listening to Wiley Connected, a series of podcasts on tech, law, and policy. In each podcast, technology-focused lawyers at Wiley, a Washington, D.C. law firm, break down innovation and law with a uniquely D.C. perspective. Welcome to the Wiley Connected podcast. Hi, I'm Henry Gola, partner in Wiley's TMT practice. I'm excited today to be joined by Tom Strop, the president of SIA, the Satellite Industry Association. Tom has been president of SIA for more than five years and is the Trade Association's lead advocate for regulatory and policy issues, including spectrum and licensing issues, defense and public safety matters, and export control, and international trade. Also manages SIA's day-to-day operations, and he's taken time out of that busy schedule to join us today. So, Tom, thanks for uh, checking in on Wiley Connected. Thanks for having me. I'd say normally we'd be doing this face-to-face in Wiley's offices, but the the new normal for more than three months now has been uh, social distancing and doing all of these over WebEx, which is how we're conducting this today. (laughs) Tom, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic has had a dramatic, tragic effect on health and well-being and a historic impact on the economy, both in the U.S. and globally. Let's talk about how COVID-19 has impacted the satellite industry specifically. There have been a number of of impacts, and it really has varied according to the sector of the industry. Uh, From a positive perspective, the broadband sector of the industry has seen a surge in demand, especially the direct-to-consumer applications. And the remote sensing sector has also seen an increase as people have been able to only access sites via satellite because uh, travel restrictions were imposed. Unfortunately, it's also had a negative impact on some of the the other service sectors. The energy market, of course, has taken a big hit. Uh, The the mobility sector of the industry with the decrease in flights and, and maritime traffic has also seen a decrease. And then the the broadcast sector has also been impacted as events like sporting been canceled. Uh, A lot of that traffic is carried via satellite systems. So uh, because there have not been events, that sector has also seen a decrease. The manufacturing sector has also been impacted. They've had to implement safety protocols. Uh, The manufacturing uh, and the, the entire industry has been identified as an essential industry, so they've been able to continue to work, but they needed to put in place protocols. The launch sector of the industry has not been significantly impacted. Launches have been taking place, but those that have involved international travel in some cases have have been impacted. And then the final aspect of it, uh, the ground services segment, which we also represent, being able to ensure that people could get access to sites. We've been coordinating with the government to be able to ensure that uh, those people who were doing installation work could continue to do so. So there's been some delay, but uh, for the most part, uh, their their ability to, to continue to access sites has, has uh, moved forward. I want to go back to the, the first thing you mentioned there, talking about, about broadband. You know, a lot of people don't realize that satellites provide connectivity and remote and hard to reach places, um, even in the United States. Has that uh, has there been an uptick there because just more people are, are isolated and working from home and, and need broadband rather than going to the office? Yeah, that's been absolutely one of the drivers, um, access for telemedicine. But since most students, uh, many businesses have had to operate from home, 
they've been one of the major drivers in the increase in broadband connectivity. And so definitely the access to remote areas is one of the important sectors that we serve. But essentially, we've got FCC defined broadband speeds covering the entire continental United States. So people who have not had access to service, whether they're in a remote area for a variety of reasons, have at least two companies that they can access broadband services. So those are definitely some of the drivers. Talk about remote sensing as well, which uh, just to uh, take it back a little bit for those who don't know, is um, an industry where satellites take basically take pictures from space, among other things. They also have radars and other sensing capabilities. But you mentioned not being able to travel and, and utilizing those, those capabilities more now during COVID and, and an uptick there. That's an interesting side effect to talk about. Yeah, it, it is. Industry is now capable of doing imaging of the Earth, refreshing the imagery every day. And uh, actually, by the end of the summer, there's going to be the opportunity in some areas to have the, the imagery refreshed uh, up to 12 times a day. So being able to access that information to see changes is what uh, is really driving the industry along with the, the advanced analytics. And it's really interesting to see some of the applications for that. Just a couple of weeks ago, I read about how uh, satellite imagery in combination with um, analytics has been able to identify the increase in um, cars in the parking lots at hospitals in Wuhan going back as far as October of last year and combining that with the increase in internet searches for COVID-like symptoms have led people to believe that uh, the the coronavirus may have been around um, as, as early as October of last year. But that's just one application. There are a variety of others. Uh, for example, if there is a, uh, a loss of power communications, the ability to be able to access it from satellite imagery when you can't uh, send a crew out to determine whether there is a, a break in a power line or you know, the same thing is true in the energy industry if there's an impact on oil flow along pipelines. So those are just some of the examples of the uh, the imagery. Another one was not using the optical imagery, but rather the RF capabilities from space. We've got a company in the industry that's capable of doing RF monitoring from space, and they were able to monitor the traffic, um, the, the maritime traffic in Wuhan to determine when things were starting to pick up and it was inconsistent with what was being released publicly. So a lot of different applications for remote sensing technology. Yeah, it sounds like yeah, they're only limited by their imagination and, and what you could sort of put together and, and co-mingle with, with other services, maybe maybe terrestrially, that, that normally um, you, you wouldn't think of doing. So that, that's really neat. I know there are many, but uh, can you talk about some of the initiatives being taken by satellite industry companies in response to the outbreak? Yeah, well, certainly one of the most important has been the participation in the FCC chairman's Keep America Connected program. So um, SIA and uh, those of our member companies who are providing direct-to-consumer services have signed the pledge and continue to provide the services. Um, But a couple of the, or a few of the the other um, specific initiatives um, Uh, Some of our broadband companies have been providing community hubs for students. So those who don't have any internet access at home are able to go to hubs to be able to perform their schoolwork, to submit their schoolwork. There also was um, 
an example where we've been providing broadband connectivity for quarantine military members when they've been returned to the United States and they needed to remain in quarantine for two weeks. We've been providing service for them. And then um, another of the, the uh, very important applications has been uh, in the state of Alaska, where one of our members has increased the, the broadband available to one of their local companies for remote villages to be able to provide telemedicine services and, and other connectivity. Uh, because of the travel restrictions, they were not able to, uh, residents are not able to leave to be able to get to medical services. And so that's just another example of, of some of the initiatives that the industry has taken. That's great. Are these, do you see these building into long-term trends once we emerge from the pandemic, or are there other trends you see for the satellite industry emerging uh, on, on the other side? I know that's hard to see right now as we're right in the middle of it, and it keeps continuing, but what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think that the pandemic has driven home the importance of broadband connectivity, regardless of one where, where one may be. And, and I think that that's going to continue when everybody is exposed to the capability of satellite broadband today is a potential customer going forward. I think that the industry has suffered from the image from 10 or 15 years ago where the, the speeds were not the, the current speeds or the capabilities that are in place were not, uh, not well known. And so I think that we'll continue to see an increase in, in demand there. Of course, we expect that the areas that have been negatively affected that they'll bounce back. I mean, certainly people expect to have broadband connectivity wherever they are. And so I think that the, the aviation and maritime industries will come back. The energy industry is already coming back. So I wouldn't call those trends so much as just the traffic that's been carried by satellite systems picking up there. Gotcha. While I have you, non-COVID questions, some, some policy topics that have popped up of late. The Department of Commerce and NOAA recently revamped uh, rules and policy for commercial remote sensing. We talked about remote sensing earlier. Dramatic change from the current rules and what the proposed rules were, and it appears to be a big win for U.S. companies operating in this space. What's your take on the new rules? Yeah, that's been a, a significant uh, improvement for the industry. SIA has been actively advocating for reform of the licensing regime and the rules that have come out to eliminate most of the restrictions on how remote systems are licensed and how they can be operated, the resolution of the imagery. And they also prohibit the government from imposing additional restrictions after the license has been issued. This is an instance where the rules may have made sense at the time they were adopted, but the result was to push a lot of the um, the capabilities to offshore manufacturers and companies. So I think that this has been a really big win for the industry. And I commend the Commerce Department, all of the people who are, who are actively involved in helping to see those rules changed uh, for helping to make the U.S. industry much more competitive. Yeah, there's still a focus on national security, but it seems as though the burden has shifted from the remote operators solely to sort of a dual responsibility between the operators and the national security community to adjust to, to new and innovative uses for, for remote sensing. That seems like one of, the, one of the biggest sea changes that's come about from these new rules. It really is. And you know, certainly we're very sensitive to national security concerns. In fact, that's a big customer of the satellite industry, both the intelligence and the, the military. 
So we're quite sensitive to those, but there are applications that have been pending for years, uh, applications to be able to provide service internationally. And there were other companies that were able to provide the, the same kind of service without going through that process. So uh, this is a significant improvement. Another big proceeding that captivated the communications industry for much of the last two years was the C-BAN proceeding. We now enter the beginning phases of transitioning 300 megahertz of spectrum from satellite to terrestrial use. How do you think this proceeding positions the satellite industry for the future of spectrum policy? This has certainly been an, a, a controversial issue within many quarters, and I guess you could say the controversy continues. But I think that from a spectrum policy perspective, I'm hopeful that it shows how the satellite industry is willing to participate in finding solutions that provide opportunities for the, the U.S. economy. And you know, when I joined SIA, I was told that the industry had the reputation for basically refusing to go along with spectrum sharing approaches, unique approaches. And, and I don't think that that was entirely fair because the industry has long time is for a long time shared amongst its 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 own users and with uh, fixed terrestrial systems but this was a an industry initiative this was not the fcc coming to the cbn players and saying we need you to, to do this to take this step they, they they came forward with the suggestion and it reminds me of what we went through with the spectrum frontiers discussions where sia had initiated discussions with our terrestrial some of the terrestrial players about how we could shared the band that was under consideration there. So I'm hopeful that in terms of a future spectrum policy, they see that the satellite industry is willing to work with other industries to find solutions that will be beneficial to, uh, to, to all of those involved. And certainly the, um, the interest in the CBND is, is warranted given the propagation characteristics of it. And I know that there's still some issues to be resolved in terms of the final funding, but um, it looks like it, it's going to be an, an opportunity for satellite industry to use some compression techniques, additional filtering um, in, in, order, in order to make that spectrum available. One of the other things that came out of that proceeding now, I believe, was the importance of it to the various constituents, the various customers, uh, the broadcast industry, the cable industry, all came forward to highlight the importance of satellite distribution to them. Uh, there had been an image that it was an underutilized band, and I think that it's anything but that. Uh, the evidence that came out showed that it was anything but that. Um, but as a result of the, the efforts of the, the various industries, and especially the satellite industry, they were able to come up with a solution to make that spectrum available. I think that's right. I mean, I think that was sort of borne out by the amount of registrations that poured into the FCC during that window for uh, for ground stations. And a lot of those are still being processed today. And, you know, staff has certainly done a great job in, in, in getting that done. But I think I think the, the sheer volume was a little bit surprising uh, when those first came in. It showed one of the, the limits of um providing, uh, of, of allowing people to have unregistered earth stations. And so just the compilation of that information was a big undertaking. And I, I commend the FCC for its initiatives to make sure that they have an accurate database. <clears throat> so just back a second, um, you know, one of the things that came out of that uh, remote sensing um, rule from, from Commerce was that they acknowledged the FCC had just come out with um, comprehensive new 
orbital debris rules and that they were sort of ceding their authority a little bit and saying, you know, we're not going to require remote sensing operators to provide comprehensive orbital debris information twice, both to commerce as part of the NOAA application and, and to the FCC. Can you talk a little bit about the FCC's efforts um, in, in its orbital debris order that came out this past year? Yes, so that's an ongoing proceeding, as you know, and this is a very important issue to the industry and controversial from some different perspectives. So one is that uh, um, just from a, a governmental uh, authority perspective, who, who should have responsibility in I think that from the satellite industry's perspective, making sure that there's coordination among the various agencies that are involved is important to us, just so that we don't have to worry about multiple layers of licensing, but also that we don't adopt any kind of regulatory regime that pushes business offshore. Um, There's a further notice of proposed rulemaking, and uh, we were certainly very grateful that the FCC looked at some of the issues that we had raised and decided that they would gather some additional information in the further notice of proposed rulemaking just to be able to ensure that there's consistency throughout the government. But it's an ongoing proceeding. Um, Even within the satellite industry, there's disagreement is the best way to approach this. But certainly, we all need to ensure the sustainability of space. SIA and its members have been very focused on that. And uh, we commend the FCC for its initiative to try and make sure that they are doing their part. We're also very pleased that there's coordination amongst the various agencies. We want to make sure that the space policy directives that address this issue taken into consideration in the discussions among the various government uh, entities that do have some jurisdiction over the whole safety of space uh, launch and the various other issues associated with it. In 2019, uh, you know, talking about another recent FCC proceeding, the FCC um, promulgated small set rules that were meant to streamline the process. It's been hung up a little with Federal Register publication. Do you expect a, uh, some pent up demand from small set operators once these rules become effective? Well, that was definitely a, a significant improvement in the licensing process for small sat operators. There, when you say pent up demand, I think that yeah, in terms of the filing of applications, we'll probably see some that may have been on hold just to be able to take advantage of the streamlined process. I think that there's just a you know a recognition that the industry is changing so rapidly, and with the decrease in the cost of manufacturing and decrease in cost of launch and the constellations that have been proposed um, for both commercial and and, um, uh, experimental systems, uh, universities applying for for, for, uh, deployment of satellites. I think that the the FCC did a very good job and certainly it was a a first step. There may be some tweaking to the rules, but uh, I do think that to answer your question, yes, I think that there will be additional applications that are filed to take advantage of the the, um, the streamlined process. So beyond that, um, what proceedings are SIA and its members most interested in for the rest of 2020 and, and beyond? So certainly efforts to fund broadband to make it more accessible is something that's important to that sector of, of our membership. We've got the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund auctions that are coming up. There's discussions about making some funding available for those companies that have been participating in the Keep America Connected pledge. 
It's been a, um, a financial hardship for many of the companies. And I know the chairman has been very supportive of providing some funding for those companies that have impacted. So um, I think that at this point, I can say that everybody in America has access to FCC-defined broadband speeds. We've got two companies that have two satellite companies that provide FCC-defined um, speeds across the country, but in many cases, it's just not affordable. And so I think that that's a, an area that it's not just a regulatory, but also a, a legislative issue where, where we expect to continue to be very active. Another is the WRC process. We've put together a white paper with some recommendations on how the process can be improved to, to better represent uh, the interests of the United States, uh, to make it more transparent, just to better coordinate the process as we go into the next round of the, the, world, uh, the world radio communications uh, process. So. Um, we, we have initiated some discussions with the International Bureau and the commissioner's offices uh, with those recommendations. So we'll continue to have um, efforts focused on that. And then, of course, um, the FCC is continuously looking at how they can streamline the rules for 25. Streamlining is another area where we expect to, to remain active this year. You mentioned the WRC. Do you think COVID can have an impact on that, even in the, in, in the planning stages and the implementation? Yes, I think it will. I think um, it's, it, it has restricted to travel. I think that there's been a transition to online meetings to be able to, to move the process forward. But I think that there will be some, some impact on it. Very good. Tom, one last question. Your favorite space movie? Boy, that's a loaded question. I, uh, I I'm gonna I'm gonna answer it indirectly initially because this isn't a movie. But um, I was involved in a discussion at the uh, Eisenhower School at the National War College, and uh, they have a a group of students who study for a year in one segment related to the the space industry, and they were delivering a report, and there were a number of people, senior level people from the military and the administration. Who were participating in this panel with me, and one of the questions was what we thought of Space Force, not the um, <laughs> organization, but the series. And it was yeah. interesting the amount of discussion that engendered. But I think to to answer your question, Gravity is probably one of my favorite movies because it helps put into perspective the the whole space debris issue. I mean, I certainly have heard from um, those who are scientists in the field that it was not completely accurate, but I think that it it helps when I can point to something that most people have seen to identify an issue. And um, I think it's because it, it, it helps identify what orbital debris is all about, that uh, that's probably one of my favorite movies. Yeah, my kids were watching a Cat in a Hat special on Amazon the other day, and they went to space, and they were talking about orbital debris. So it's even reached, it's even reached kids' shows. <laughs> so, Tom, I want to thank you for joining me today. This has been uh, this has been terrific to hear about how SIA and its member companies are dealing with the pandemic and and beyond. So thanks so much, Henry. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning in to the Wiley Connected podcast, brought to you by the attorneys at Wiley. If you enjoyed this episode of Wiley Connected, we encourage you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For additional resources and materials, head over to WileyConnect.com. Thank you for listening.
The views, information, or opinions expressed during the series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Wiley Ryan LLP and its employees. The material contained in this podcast is not intended to be and is not considered to be legal advice. Transmission is not intended to create and receipt does not establish an attorney-client relationship.